This guy likes dragons. He's he's got like a dragon <laughs> tattoo. <laughs> he's wearing a t-shirt that says I heart dragons. Like, come on, come dude. Come on, let's do this. <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Black Box in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 38 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about that most serious of players, the method actor. But first, the party parlays with dragons in the Morning Glory campaign, and the Iron Archer gets into the thick of it in the Character Creation Forge. So Ishan, today is a special day. Oh Yeah. April 21st, a Catacon Kickstarter is finally live. Oh, I thought you were going to go with something else in the end of April, but okay. Uh, Earth Day, obviously. Oh, yeah. Right. That was already, that's already passed, actually. It's tomorrow. But maybe you were thinking about yesterday. Oh, am I thinking about 420? <laughs> I think you might be. <laughs> is that not Earth Day? What's the difference? <laughs> Close. Don't you wear hemp on both days? <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, Catacon, as we have talked about a couple times on the show already, is a local convention hosted in Dayton, Ohio, by our friends at the RPG Academy. And they are uh, using Kickstarter to fund the con and sell badges. So if you would like to attend, it is November 11th to 13th at the Dayton Convention Center in Dayton, Ohio, and I will be there. I'm actually a special guest. But you should still go. Yeah, yeah. well, you get a chance to meet me as a special guest and not just (laughs) as a random jerk. (laughs) Last year it funded without any trouble. It funded in a couple days, so um, everybody is super optimistic that this is going to be bigger and better than last year. Yes, we assume it's doing very well, but through the lack of magic of timey-wiminess and pre-recording, we don't know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right, so we do want to remind all of you that we are looking for content from the Dungeon Masters Guild to review, because I think as most of you know, there's not really a consistent rubric by which that content is rated. So, you know, it may have good ratings, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's actually useful to you. Yeah, so we're going to highlight the things that we really enjoy on the Dungeon Masters Guild. And unfortunately, we're stuck with the same problem. We can't figure out what the good content is. <laughs> right. So if you've written something or you found something that you really like or that you enjoyed, please pass it along so that we can take a look as well. You can send it on over to totalpartythrill at gmail.com or shoot us a message on Twitter at TPTCast. All right, we've gotten our shilling out of the way, so let's move on to Morning Glory. Did, did we get any money for that? No, not even a shilling. <laughs> All right, so last time in the Morning Glory campaign, the party had emerged out of a dark lake into what they believed to be Argonessen, and that proves to be true when they confront a silver dragon which eats a tribe of minotaurs. Through the help of their artifact cube, Calic the paladin single-handedly takes down the dragon which impresses another dragon nearby, a small blue dragon named Kankubar, who says, hey, I've been waiting for you. And the party says, well, that, that makes sense. Yeah, you, you don't mean... want us to kill you too. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for you. <laughs> so Kankubar explains that he is a member of the chamber, which you guys by this point know is the group of dragons who are less jerky. 
They're the ones who pay attention and interpret the draconic prophecy. Right. And they don't necessarily believe that all humanoids are simply fodder and worthless. Yeah, necessarily. Necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> They're the ones willing to talk. Right, right. <laughs> and Kankabar is young or, you know, young for a dragon. Right. So he says, yes, I'm a student of the prophecy. Uh, I have studied the stars and I realized that some group of important individuals would appear somewhere in this area around this time. So I've been waiting. Here you are. It seems like you might be them. Would you like to come back to the chamber with me? So I can introduce all of you. And we had nothing better going on at right, that yeah. point. I mean, yeah. we, we didn't have any place to be, so we figured, <laughs> sure, yeah, we'll follow you to this dangerous dragon-filled place. You also had a lot of questions, and you had a you had a task, right? You needed to return Seer to the material plane. Right. And, I mean, we also had a new prophecy that we thought would be perhaps well interpreted by the dragons who are responsible for the draconic <laughs> prophecy. So... Right. It's a little help with our riddle. Right. <laughs> so you travel there and he brings you to Vervitharex, which is the impossibly tall area of the chamber, several miles high. And from a distance, you can see dragons circling it. When you arrive, you're allowed access because you're with Kankobar, but most of the dragons just totally ignore you. And the party's walking around and notices, you know, there are servant humanoids or some being kept as slaves or for whatever purposes yeah that hurt me a little bit as a brand <laughs> as a dragon sorcerer with my beautiful gold scales and thinking i had been touched by sybaris it was like oh these dragons aren't even talking to me or treating me special i don't know why am i here yeah you, you call those scales <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's cute puny human half elf whatever you are i you all look alike to me <laughs> right <laughs> don't all half elves have scales yeah exactly <laughs> I thought you'd be a little more slimy. <laughs> so because the parties with Kankabar, they have access to areas they normally couldn't get into. And Kankabar takes them to an audience with some of the higher-ups of the chamber. Now at this point, Lou, the warlock, has a witch sight, which means she can see the true forms of shapeshifters. So... <laughs> Perhaps it's just to make it easier to maneuver, but a lot of the older dragons are actually in humanoid form, but she can tell that they're actually, you know, this is a red, uh, an adult red, and this is a, a great worm bronze, and things like that. I wonder how that looks. Like, I, <laughs> like I'm imagining in my mind, you know, like a, a chamber that's large enough for a few giant dragons, but has bunches of people in it, and you get like your witch sight, <laughs> and you true see them, and it's like the whole room just, is just filled to the rafters with dragons. Just, like, just after images Yeah, everywhere. exactly. Like, that must be disorienting. That's for so much ghosting. See why she's so crazy. <laughs> so Kangabar tries to introduce the party to the leaders of the chamber, but just isn't getting anywhere, and it becomes pretty obvious that Kangabar, while part of this group is sort of considered a bit of a fringe element he his opinion is not really well respected yeah he's got a tinfoil hat on <laughs> and we didn't quite see that initially <laughs> i checked the prophecy right <laughs> come on guys but we did eventually find somebody who found us interesting yes because a great worm bronze notices bahar and bahar's dragon mark and bahar notices the the bronze and goes oh no I know this guy <laughs> because way back right before the party entered the Mornland, 
Bahar was teleported against his will into a laboratory and a bronze dragon was studying him for several days and then about to vivisect him. Yes, that's exactly, that's exactly right. From what Bahar could tell, the dragon was wondering, you know, how far down do these dragon marks go? Are they just on the surface? Are they on the inside? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. And then luckily for Bahar, he was pulled away. His teleport was completed right before he was cut open. So Bahar says, oh, no, that's that's the dragon that tried to cut me open. And the dragon says, oh, I remember you. <laughs> It turns out this is Jen Garlerix, the leader of the chamber, which doesn't necessarily dispose Bahar well to the group at all. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> However, there is a deal of parlaying, and most of this session was actually just brand mostly, and uh, the other members of the party sort of standing up and saying, we are we are important creatures. Actually, that is true. I mean, that was because Bran was a dragon sorcerer, so he had advantage on those checks, mm -hmm. and then he was expertise in persuasion. So that was really his build was diplomacy with dragons. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, that was a big part of the session. I think the bigger part of the session was being like, um, Bahar, is there something you need to tell us? <laughs> because I think for a lot of us, we didn't know about that interaction that Bahar had had on his way to the Mornland. Right, because it actually, it, in real life, it had happened uh, over email. Yeah, because I think I think the player had missed a session. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so that kind of... I like, gave him a thing to do. Explained what yeah. he was doing. Yeah, and so then we're all finding out that this had happened way back when. He hadn't <laughs> told anybody about it. It's just like, wow, you know, just... we've been through some stuff, and you like, still haven't trusted us with this? this? Is a, is a traumatic experience. Maybe when we end up in the, in the land of dragons, you mention it? I don't know. <laughs> but... You were ultimately successful, along with Kangabar's help, and Jen Carlerix, of course, is an expert in the Draconic Prophecy and is interested in dragon marks appearing on these sort of lowly humanoids. So he's willing to listen, and then it, it turns out you, uh, the party and the dragons all have something in common, or at least common-ish goals. They're interested in the prophecy, and the dragons let on that they have bits and pieces of an additional prophecy that they think now that they're looking at you and now you know sort of examining the second prophecy going yes okay perhaps this has something to do with you but um, honestly there's no proof and the party says well maybe you know maybe you should just tell us about it yeah <laughs> like, like, uh, find time to put your cards on the table there guys <laughs> that's right and of course the dragons say nah, no that's not, that's not yeah, how it works exactly. <laughs> tell you what why don't you do some stuff and that will probably prove to us that you are worthy of our attention right and so we said yeah dragons are trustworthy <laughs> this is a great idea <laughs> but they offered you several things they said if you do this for us we will give you the horde of astaroth the crazy silver rogue dragon that you killed because you don't know where it is because you killed him outside of his lair yeah that and and then the other thing was just like and we won't punish you for doing that because <laughs> while you know he was crazy and not our friend he's also still a dragon and you're not so right, that was inappropriate we should eat you for that <laughs> we also will offer you the yes this prophetic insight and lou crazy lou our second most <laughs> persuasive character <Right? laughs> bargain and said you know what you know what else i want i want all your information on the dalkir right and they were like well that's a little weird because nobody likes them right and we're not really sure why you want that but sure yeah the rest of the party's like no we mm, uh, don't tell uh, her don't mm, uh. <laughs> but she was just so charming and convincing right <laughs> so the dragons assign the party a task and we'll find out what that task was next week.
All right, so let's move on to our main topic for the week. We're continuing our series on player profiles with the method actor. So in our first installment, we talked about the munchkin. And the method actor is sort of the opposite of the munchkin. You can see the, a list of some of these player personality types on page six of the Dungeon Master's Guide. The munchkin is called optimizing. The method actor is still called the method actor. Yeah, yeah. And you can also find lots of details on this in our oft-referenced <laughs> uh, tome, Robin D. Laws's Robin's Laws of Good Game Mastering. It's an excellent resource. What does Robin have to say about the method actor? Well, I think first and foremost, it's a profile that's focused on personal expression. You have method actors who identify with the character they play. They're focused on the creative aspects. Yeah, in-game, their character makes decisions based on their personality or the way that the player understands the psychology of that character. Usually this is great. But it can get in the way at times when the acting comes before the gaming. Yeah, especially when that when he's the only method actor yeah. at the table and everyone yeah. else is like, dude, you have to kill him. And he's like, I'm going to run away. Because <laughs> my guy is a coward. I have that major hindrance. <laughs> this, this, is, this is the point where you strike the finishing blow and we win. Mm, right, I'm not at that point in my arc yet. Yeah. <laughs> Look, lady, I'm not there yet. <laughs> That's right. I need to fail. I need to experience crushing defeat. Right. <laughs> I need all of my companions to die in order to complete my arc. Right. So, exactly. ooh, looks bad for you guys. <laughs> okay. So, at first glance, this player profile seems really ideal. You know, you've got easy buy-in. You, you have a, a player who doesn't question the realism of your setting or the scenario that the players are placed in and this isn't the player who says hold on wait a minute how does this economy work this doesn't make any sense right magic items would ruin <laughs> the feudal economy well, why are there peasants why do i have to pay in the tavern isn't there create food and water come right. on <laughs> and they're certainly not arguing laws of thermodynamics with you they're often also really ready to follow your story hooks. You just need to offer your, a method actor a clue that would interest their character in any way, and they're off and running. And then they're going to be the, the player at the table whose character is always asking your NPCs questions. <laughs> Sometimes too many questions. Yeah. Like, I didn't think of a last name. I have no idea. Right. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> exactly. I was I was Mr. Smith. Right. <laughs> I, I, my first name is uh, James. James right, Smith. James, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's definitely the player who's going to challenge your improv skills because this player is going to ask what might seem as superfluous questions to the plot, but are important characterization questions for the personalities. Right. This is sort of the the main differentiation between the method actor and the storyteller. You know, the method actor is mostly concerned with viewing the world through the perspective of a particular character. Right. Or ratcheting up the drama. The character drama. That's right. <laughs> One thing that most DMs love and are usually great is your, your method actor will probably give you a lengthy backstory. Maybe it'll be written, maybe they'll just tell it to you, but there will, there will probably be a lot of tragedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's going to have, he's going to be an orphan, but you're going to know exactly in an excru excruciating detail why he's an orphan. <laughs> right. But it does offer plenty of hooks for you to further character development. Of course, in the future, it may be difficult for you to direct that character development yeah and of course your method actor brings lots and lots of immersion to the table in general 
often they're the one who's speaking in character. Sometimes they'll use different voices. Lots of times your method actor will be the one who has a familiar who also has a separate personality. This can cut both ways, right? Uh, At times (laughs) you have the method actor who brings that like richness and vivaciousness to the world by asking the kind of questions that just kind of draw everybody in. Mm -hmm. Other times you spend 20 minutes talking to the bartender when the guy you should be meeting with is sitting in the corner booth, right? Right. And it's just, all right, yeah, I get it. You're a character in a real world. (laughs) (laughs) But the guy with the the quest bubble over his head (laughs) is is right next to you. Should have made him much more interesting. Right. (laughs) Yeah, but he's really dark and brooding, and I'm just, like, not feeling that right now. (laughs) Right now. But that kind of in-character talk can really help draw on other players, especially if you don't have any other method actors. Sometimes it can help move them in that direction. Maybe, you know, your method actor is the one who ends up inspiring your munchkin. Or your casual gamer. Yeah, exactly. All right, so let's talk a little bit more in-depth about the kinds of problems that a method actor can bring to the table. I think usually the issues crop up when the acting becomes more important to the player than having fun. Or table cohesion. Yeah, and that is almost a social contract problem. Mm -hmm. It's, here's the way that we play this game. Here are the things that are important to us. Here are the things we want to do on game night. And if you're turning it into an improv exercise, maybe that's not what everybody signed up for. Right. And I think, I mean, this is tabletop RPGs, right? Everybody is fine with some level of improvisational exercise, right? It's sort of what it is for everybody. Right, right. But when the method actor then makes it all about their exercise all of, all of the problems spiral out from there yeah and this i think gets to be a bigger problem the larger the group gets mm. you know when you have two players or three players maybe that helps keep everybody engaged and it it does drive the story forward or, or bring that fun and cohesion but when you've got six it's very hard to construct a scene where you have all six pcs in character interacting with the world mm-hmm and npcs for the gm you know that's a that's a crowded conversation like that just think about that scene in a movie yeah it would be unruly and the method actor would feel the same way honestly yeah yeah yeah. so yeah it's the same issue as the monk as the munchkin really which is the player's individual goals overshadow the group dynamic right and the player ignores the fact that they're actually playing a game yeah (laughs) so this can take several forms sometimes they insist on having abilities that aren't allowed in the game or aren't allowed at that level of the game so you know i have created a swashbuckler and in my mind they are a swashbuckler so they should be able to do all of these amazing things but the dice or my sheet don't necessarily say that they can do these things or sometimes these things conflict with the tone of the game Mm -hmm. right you build the swashbuckler in a gritty realistic setting and jumping down the sail and you know like using your (laughs) dagger to to cut through it to slow your fall uh it's not gonna work dude (laughs) usually gets you killed yeah (laughs) which is not a heroic way to go no it's not (laughs) makes for a terrible story they can sometimes get upset at failures that seem out of character to them. So even if their sheet says they're capable of this, they roll the dice, they roll a one, they fall flat on their face when they're attempting to do something with flair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, This is often where the method actor runs into the rules and becomes Mm. very focused on the rules. Why am I playing a character that can't do the cool thing that he's meant to do? Mm -hmm. You also might have a method actor who's unwilling to follow hooks or follow the party consensus because my character wouldn't do that Mm -hmm. and i know this one drives you crazy 
they might refuse to play tactically or build their character optimally. <laughs> and and that ends up as a weakness that continually gets exploited in the party, right? <laughs> right. We're not saying that everybody has to optimize. However, there's a certain advantage to playing tactically that should come across in-game. I think a lot of times, too, it's not actually playing your character well if you're tactically unsound. Right. You know, how many people are trained in fighting with a sword that don't understand the benefit of flanking? How do you get to the point where you're capable in combat and not understand basic tactics? Because I can tell you, I've never fought with a sword. (laughs) My experience at role-playing games has taught me this. So (laughs) somebody who has spent time training to become proficient with a sword should understand this inherently. Right. I mean, yes, even I would say, okay, I'm standing here with a sword and there's another guy with a sword. I'm going to try to get behind him so that his pointy part isn't facing me yeah exactly and my pointy part is facing exactly (laughs) yeah it just seems very simple and so sometimes we overexpress as method actors can overexpress the idea of i'm not a fighter Mm -hmm. uh, okay yeah but if you're a D &D character you're a fighter yeah period why why do you have a sword right yeah (laughs) and i think yeah sometimes it's it's almost like someone is dabbling in method acting and they haven't taken it quite far enough Uh uh-huh like okay maybe in your mind, your character is a coward. But that's because he is standing next to huge, inspiring heroes. He might be the cowardly one of this group. He is still far more brave than your average farmer. He's in the dungeon already. Right. Your character isn't just a list of traits on a sheet. If they are currently here right now, and these people that they have been traveling with, you know, and risking their life for, for, you know, months or years, are in mortal peril... Do they drop their sword and run away? Likely not. Right, right. Unless, of course, you know, there's some sort of horrible abomination or there are fear checks or right, whatever. Right, Unless they are broken from their personality. Yeah, right. exactly. I'll also say that there's a certain type of method actor that, that's sort of a glutton for punishment. Like in their backstory, it's extraordinarily tragic. But then during the storyline of the game, the plot, they sort of want their character to suffer and to, like, be bad at things at, uh, are you talking about my Dungeon World character? <laughs> that's that's Dungeon World's fault. Okay. <laughs> I I have played with some players who part of the arc of their character was eventually a redemption story, but that just meant for like the first eight levels, their their character was just terrible at everything. Yeah. And they would talk to the, to the GM in between sessions and sort of plan horrible things that would happen to their character. <laughs> And then I find what usually happens with that is after a few levels, it gets a little boring. So they think, ah, it's time for heroic death. But like, (laughs) you're level three. It's not heroic. It's the powder keg of justice. (laughs) See, that that would be fine, right? I run in, I blow it up. It was awesome. Right, right. right? But oh, it's just, I tragically died because I didn't flank. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Here lies Rothgar. (laughs) Got flanked by goblins at level three. Didn't read their stat block. Right. Forgot they have sneak attack. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you're GM or a player in a game and you're dealing with a problem method actor, what are some things you can do? Play the right game. Yeah. Maybe fourth edition is not the game to play if you are a method actor or to run if you've got a lot of method actors. And games like Fiasco are going to be spot on for them. Right. Because... Dungeon Dungeon World. Yeah. You can totally fail forward. Uh, Well, in Dungeon World specifically, (laughs) yes. (laughs) But, I mean, any game that doesn't place a premium or even 
have well fleshed out combat mechanics is going to work well for them right games that are focused on stories so i'm thinking white wolf for example Mm -hmm. you know you can you can play vampire for months without having real combat fate fate Mm -hmm. or even something that is don't say savage worlds (laughs) i was was gonna say even something that is uh, that has a lot of mechanical moving parts but that can get very gritty like dark heresy yeah or anything that's looking for cinematic kind of role play so i'm thinking edge of the empire Mm -hmm. any of the fantasy flight star wars games where the combat is combat but there's a there's a lot to interpret in the dice outside of that that can give players agency in the story yeah and those are great because you can just as a gm one of the problems with for example edge of the empire and the fantasy flight dice is that you have to come up with all these sort of caveats on on every roll you just have your method actor do that yeah exactly. you know, if something bad happens tell me what it is yeah what's your disadvantage right yeah and in the same way with the munchkin before you go and try to fix a problem determine is is this actually a problem you know maybe at the table your game needed a bit more in character thinking and maybe it is involving the pcs more and you're just not used to it or maybe you've got PCs who are really using a lot of out-of-character knowledge a little too much, or they're viewing things from you know top-down, this macro level, because as players, they know everything that's going on. That is another thing. If, if metagaming is a problem at your table, then the method actor is one of the cures to metagaming. Right. Because he doesn't care at all about meta. <laughs> right. They're the one going, well, I don't know that. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's you don't probably, know that either. Yeah, how do you know? Like, <laughs> What is this kingdom you speak of in the north? <laughs> I have never left this village, sir. <laughs> and what is an elf? Ethel? I, I, mm, I do not understand. Yes. And this, this one, he, he's very short. <laughs> Where did he come from? And fat. Yeah. <laughs> A method actor barbarian. Oh, amazing. It would be lots of spurts of very short role play. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say that Sometimes it's actually nice to just let the method actor go for a little bit and see where it takes you. Because I can definitely think of circumstances where you've got a method actor, they're playing a barbarian. Oh no, they're so in character, they ruined the social encounter again. Well, okay, did they ruin the social encounter or did they make it kind of awesome because right. the, the barbarian wiped her hands with, you know, tool? <laughs> <laughs> so that's purple and... That's very expensive. Please don't do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it can cause a, a lot of repercussions down the line that actually end up being very interesting. And, and maybe later it, it turns out that you have your players realize, oh, you know what? This, this is actually really interesting. We enjoy these sorts of things that we thought we wouldn't because we, quote unquote, were losing the encounter. That's true. And then you also, you're going to be given a bunch of plot hooks in the process, mm-hmm. right? So thinking of that barbarian the method actor is going to inject tribe history or clan history into that conversation. That's going to get other players hooked into, oh man, this is cool. Like she has a fully fleshed out tribe standing behind her. I wonder what my people are like. Right. Right. Or (laughs) I want to learn more about that. Right. Let's go explore that. Man, wish I wasn't an orphan. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) And of course we mentioned, we're going to mention this with every single player personality type. If you're having a problem, talk to your player. Yeah, and that's as simple as saying, hey, look, I know that this is your favorite part. I love when you do it, but we need to make sure that we're also keeping an eye on our tactics in combat. We're keeping an eye on the amount of time that you're spending talking to NPCs when nobody else has checked into it. 
Yeah. The method actor, more than any other player type, should understand when you say, don't hog the spotlight. Right. (laughs) Or just engage the other PCs when you do it, Mm -hmm. right? Become a tool for the GM to increase engagement by don't just interact with my characters, not just the NPCs. Talk to your other PCs in character. These are the people that you're supposed to know. These are the rest of your ensemble cast. You are an ensemble. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, sometimes these players are overindulging because no one else is in character and they just feel like okay why is no one actually being in this game yeah here's the one thing i can control which is my own interaction Mm -hmm. so i will overexpress it until everybody catches up right you can also design your sessions for the player or or around the player if you know that they're acting in a particular way so one great thing for this is scenarios that aren't black and white The method actor often thrives when there are shades of gray. If you have moral quandaries, that presents great opportunities for characterization and it lets them sort of step outside of, okay, here are the traits on my sheet and go, okay, how are these traits expressed in game with these actual sort of philosophical questions that my character is now asking? Yeah, so it's things like, what do you do with the prisoners inside the dungeon? Wait, what does the coward do? Yeah. When you've got to guard these prisoners. Right. It would be easier to kill them and then you don't have to watch your back, right? I mean, that's true. But then, really? Killing, but, but killing are, people in cold blood? Are you a killer? Yeah, right. Are you a murderer? <laughs> Can you live with that? Or if you just send them off back down the dungeon the way you came, are they going to get home safely? Are you not condemning them to die anyway? Mm-hmm. How does your character feel about that guilt? Uh, well, if it's a method actor, it's liable to rack them for <laughs> Forever, months. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got method actors, use this as an opportunity to become a better GM. Some sessions won't or maybe even shouldn't have any combat or even that many dice rolls. Or maybe they have combat encounters that can be circumvented mm-hmm. without fighting. Yeah, I think we, when we talk about combat, we have recommended that almost always it's possible to circumvent them with you know a, a, the combination of the proper entreaties and the proper dice rolls. Yeah. I mean, the flip side, right? We just planned a session in our last episode where you were going to get attacked by orcs. Like, the orcs were going to invade the human lines. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you're going to do to stop that. That was just a plot point, right? So you were going to have to fight or run away. (laughs) (laughs) Well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But the flip side is if you knock in the door of a dungeon and inside are a group of four orcs and you have the jump on them, you don't have to be the first one to swing. So if you set these up and and you reward players, you reward the other players at the table for engaging socially with typical bad guys, then you're setting that precedent where they're going to consider it every time. Yeah, I think that's one of the things we talked about really loving about Eberron is that you, not all the quote-unquote monsters are, you know, always evil yeah, and there for cannon fodder. Such a judgy term, monster. <laughs> right? Like, how do they feel being called... The monstrous humanoids. Right. Wouldn't you get really upset? We're humanoids. They are fleshbag humanoids. (laughs) So small and smooth. Right. And tasty. (laughs) It's humanoids and delicious humanoids. Right. (laughs) You can also, as a GM, build in extra time for social interaction, which I think you should be doing anyway, because, you know, if your players, even if they aren't method actors, go off on a tangent, want to interact with some of your NPCs, hey, awesome that worked out really well yep and even in encounters that aren't primarily social yeah the method actor is going to be able to turn any encounter into a social (laughs) encounter if he tries hard enough and that doesn't necessarily mean it only becomes social right 
have a little extra time for the swashbuckler to throw out their quips or the bard to actually sing that song. Or when the party is arguing out of character mm-hmm. about what they should do, say, no, stop. You're now talking in character, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, take that table chatter time and put it into the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one way of offering an outlet to the method actor that lets them express the things that they want to express in game in constructive ways. So often method actors gravitate toward bards anyway, but I often encourage it because they can literally write a song. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You did that, didn't you? I have done that, yes. (laughs) I had a method actor player who wrote his bardic songs at the table but was still able to engage. He would just, on his off turn, he would be like writing down the verses. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I mean, I would love to do that. Like, I would love to play the Elon character. Right. Right, from Order of the Stick. Stick. And I mean, that's why I started playing a bard, (laughs) period, right? Was was so that I could mock other players at the table for the things that they were doing in character, but not in a way that was like, oh, that was a dumb tactical choice, right? Ooh, method actor warlord. Yeah, I know. <laughs> who also, who was a minor in military history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee there are a lot of them out there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, then the other thing is give some of your NPCs to your method actors. Yeah, not necessarily controlling their actions, but like let them say the dialogue. Sure. Depending on how rigid and structured your game and session mm. is, you might just let them improv and see where it goes. Yeah. If you listen to the campaign podcast from the One Shot Podcast Network, it's a Star Wars actual play. They're amazing at that. Every player at the table plays multiple characters, depending on which scene they're in. Sometimes they just take over the NPCs, so there's multiple voices at the table, and the improv is amazing. Yeah, one of the things that we have talked about in the past before is, as a GM, taking some of the workload off of yourself by letting players narrate the consequences of very good or very bad roles. So let your method actor do that. They're going to want to anyway. Yeah. And it doesn't even necessarily need to be off the basis of their own role, right? The party won a skill challenge or whatever. Great. What does the the king say? Exactly. In, in order to like offer you entry into the treasure room. Yeah, I've been trying to do this a little bit with Dark Heresy. Mm. Not the best system, if I'm being <laughs> honest, for doing this. What does the commissar say? Right. Uh, he shoots us all in the head, yeah. obviously. So he leads with his bolt pistol. <laughs> Oh, yes. Some of the personalities are kind of locked in to the point of parody. But I've been trying to do this with our group a little bit to to sort of challenge you when you have a role. What do you see? Right. You introduce some of the premises to the story and to the environment. So, right. It's it's working slowly. It's definitely a change of pace. Just getting there. Yeah. All right. So what if you are a method actor? How can you make sure that you still have fun at the table, but don't overshadow other people? Can my tip be to have fun at the table, but don't overshadow other people? <laughs> it's an excellent tip. Yeah. <laughs> Step one. <laughs> right? Just just keep that in mind all the time, right? How much table time are you taking up? Right. Um, and then find ways to share the spotlight as well, mm-hmm. right? In terms of hogging it, it's one thing to, to shine it on yourself. It's a totally other thing to just keep directing it in other places, right? Yeah, like pass the baton. Exactly. And then also remember that in-game, your character needs a reason to be an adventurer and to travel with the other members of this party. And those party members need reasons to keep your PC around. So if you do have a cowardly as one of your traits, why do they trust you? What is the reason? And don't rely on your GM to concoct some sort of plot point that all of you like have to continue traveling together. Eventually, at some point, if everyone is being realistic and you're a terrible party member they'll just kill you in your sleep 
I don't know. Maybe that's your arc, but that's a terrible arc. <laughs> that is a sad way to go. <laughs> so I would love to read a novel where like a beloved coward did just like <laughs> get knifed in his sleep. And that was, you know, that's like the beginning of that's the third it. act. <laughs> Should write a letter to George R. R. Martin. Yeah, I got a great idea. Yeah, like what if Tyrion Lannister just like just caught one, just lead off to book six, <laughs> game over. <laughs> he was just too much of a jerk to too many people. <laughs> I would love if they died and then the series just ended because it turns out they were the main character. It was all their POV. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's important is not only why are you doing what you're doing, but also why are they keeping you around? So always keep that in mind that you have to carry your load or else you get left. Yeah. Being an adventurer is about ultimately accomplishing some sort of task. Otherwise, you would just be a tavern keeper. Right. Yeah. The uh, world needs another bartender. Yeah. Right. Like, why isn't your character an NPC? There's a reason. Right. And, you know, gaming is your hobby, but... To your character, it's their job or their livelihood or maybe even their entire life and all of their family and friends. Yeah, so if you're the coward, it's less about running away from combat when it happens and it's more about over-preparing for combat because you know it's inevitable. Yeah, or playing how your character is facing their fear in the middle of combat. Right. And then maybe that arc is overcoming that and actually becoming kind of a bad Yeah, I mean, that's a cool arc. (laughs) Yeah, I dig that. And then keep in mind, uh, it's called a role-playing game. (laughs) The game is part of the hobby, so try and enjoy some of those things. The character building, the rolling dice, the interpreting outcomes. Rolling dice is so much fun. I mean, I like rolling dice. Sometimes I roll dice just because I don't, like, I have an idea, and I'm like, "Eh, let me roll dice and see. Let's see how this goes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is it uh, yes or no? Or or it's like, how many are in there? I don't know. Let's roll a d10. (laughs) Yeah, you won't always know the outcome. It's not like reading a script. It's It really is more like improvisation. So take your cues from the dice. Yeah, if you can talk to your GM about it, in a lot of cases, it might make sense to roll first. Yeah. So you know what the outcome or you know what the quality of the performance is, and then you figure out what that looks like in character. Yeah, it's a nice challenge. And sort of the opposite of what we often say to do, which is, you know, let the player act it out. And if it's awesome... Give then, them advantage. Yeah, or even, you know, if it's so amazing, just... Don't, don't bother roll. to roll right? right like you did great that's perfect but yeah as the method actor roll hey you got a one well act out that terrible speech right <laughs> yeah see we had this example in our last episode talking about our last session of dark heresy where the face of the party rolled a critical failure on the persuasion a horribly critical failure yeah after giving a speech that was uh, decent you know it was completely truthful yeah And so after we rolled, we determined, well, that was just completely an unbelievable story, Mm -hmm. which it kind of was. The flip side is if he had rolled in advanced, he would have told this story completely wrong, right? (laughs) Right? He would have highlighted things that didn't make any sense (laughs) of the commissar. He would have talked about, like, probably focused on all the things that they had gotten and how shiny it was, right? Like all of the terrible gruesome things that might have happened to the commissar's allies you know i mean he just would have done everything to offend him it worked either way we interpreted it both ways but one was informed beforehand and one was informed afterwards Mm -hmm. and we may have even enjoyed it i mean once we got over like the horrible agony of like failing miserably right right we might have enjoyed the speech more and like oh yeah no that makes sense i see why you wouldn't oh yeah you should mention this you should definitely oh don't forget about that yeah we help yeah (laughs) (laughs) And if you're just really not that interested in a lot of the 
gamier aspects will let other people who are interested in them do the mechanical heavy lifting if they want to yeah find your munchkin yeah and ask him to do the work for you which is what i often do (laughs) (laughs) which is great because it helps give the munchkin an outlet for their character building bug and they don't need to like put everything into theirs right and then Yours is maybe even competent. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then you also have somebody who can help you through the game components at Mm -hmm. the table as well. So you can just interpret what they mean to your character and the munchkin can maybe help like, oh, don't forget about this ability. Yeah. You know, you've got a lot on your sheet. Don't forget that one. Mm -hmm. Or you can specifically request a sheet that's relatively simple. In combat, I want to do the same thing multiple times i'll just flavor them differently but like i want mechanically it i just want to roll the dice and add a number right yeah so i'll be the rogue or the champion fighter right (laughs) Right? (laughs) on the flip side of that maybe you want to be able to on your sheet have tons of flashy maneuvers you want to be the battle master you want to be the bard yeah think of your bonuses and your malices and all of your different game features and class features in in in-game terms if your character has advantage What does that look like in this situation? Go ahead and describe it. And it'll make you more likely to seek it out in combat, which will make you a more effective player tactically, but will also make your character more effective in game. You know, what does does a rage look and feel like? Is this an appropriate time to rage? (laughs) It's always an appropriate time to rage. Like like I feel the anger welling up and you just hit me for five damage and now it's going. Now it's happening. (laughs) I'm done. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think about how Brand approached his ability that he had advantage on charisma checks with dragons. And I think it was mostly... Um, uh, did you did you notice my scales? <laughs> you can trust me because I also have scales. Look at these. They're everywhere. Look, look, look at, at it. They're look, everywhere. Yeah, I mean, do you know, do you know about this? Because, like, here, let me, let, me, let me open my shirt. Even sometimes with, with things, people that weren't dragons. No, it's like, true. Did yeah. it, um, but did you notice my scale? I mean, I like have... this works here, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I should still get advantage here. <laughs> this guy likes dragons. He's he's got like a dragon <laughs> tattoo. <laughs> he's wearing a t-shirt that says "I heart dragons." Like, come on, come dude. on, let's do this. <laughs> and then, yeah, at the end of the day, the the biggest tip for all is make it fun for everyone. Mm-hmm. If everybody is having fun, you're doing a great job. So. Maybe as you're focused internal on your character's decisions, also look outwardly at the audience and see how engaged they are. Yeah, as the method actor, as the person who really knows what it is like to play to an audience, you're in one of the best positions to really make sure that everyone is having a really good time. And that's really the whole point, isn't it? Right. All right, do you hear that, Ishan? I think that's rounds of applause from an adoring crowd. Well, then that means only one thing that it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sends Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at T-P-T Cast. You can also email us, if you can't fit it into 140 characters, at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And last but not least, you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. So this week we promised you the Iron Archer, which is not a character concept that many of you may have heard of before. It's another one of those builds that really plays against type, which I find a ton of fun. It's a melee archer. Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) So 
the reason behind this is it mitigates one of the sort of worst or most boring parts of playing a ranged character, which is tactics don't really matter, you're not in the thick of things, nothing ever attacks you, you just stand 150 feet away, you point at something and say, I attack it. Right, you roll the same dice every time. Mm-hmm. Wah, wah. Yeah. It's an effective archetype in almost every kind of game. You're really good at what you do. Hey, maybe every 10 sessions you get to be a sniper, but man, is it dull most of the rest of the time. Yeah, when you get a combat session, you're going to be bored, which mm-hmm. sucks because it's a combat-focused character. Right? Yeah. You're defined by your archery. Yeah, so think about the quintessential archers that we see in media. Legolas got into the thick of things. When the orc was right in front of him, he pulled an arrow out of his quiver and stabbed it in the eye. Right. <laughs> and then he removed that arrow and shot it. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Just Here, hold this for me. Yeah. <laughs> so... The concepts for me originally came from when I was a hardcore lurker on the Bioware Neverwinter Nights forums. Oh, it's always good when these things come from video games. <laughs> there was a, a guy in the forums called the Grizzled Dwarf Lord who had so many good builds. And one was sort of based around making the half-elf actually useful in 3.5 because it is a con dex build. And the half-elf in 3.5, I don't know if you remember, but it was mostly terrible. I remember it being terrible in every edition. Yeah, it was terrible until 4th edition. It didn't get any stat bonuses. That's a bad luck. Whereas the the elf got plus 2 dex, minus 2 con. But you needed both of those. So actually, the half-elf was just a wash. It was perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah. So the build itself is Fighter 12, Barbarian 3, Rogue 5. For race, human is nice because... Variant human is nice because... It's pretty feet heavy, and it also means that you can start uh, right off the bat with being able to shoot arrows in the middle of combat without taking disadvantage. We'll get to that in the feet section. Elf obviously is good for plus two dexterity. Dwarf is really good if you want to play the strangest archer anyone has ever seen because you get that plus two con, which is nice. You can also go, is it the hill dwarf that gets the... Strength bonus? uh, No, well, so... The strength bonus is nice because that will help you with your melee attacks with when your, you're stabbing with your arrows. Stabbing arrows. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but you can also do uh, the other dwarf that gets the wisdom bonus. You don't care about that, but it gets the extra hit points, uh, which is also nice because you're actually you're going to end up with twenty con or at least a very high con, so you're going to have more hit points than any archer ever. That is the hill dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So mountain dwarf gets the strength. Strength, bonus. right? Yeah. Uh, and then air genasi gets a gets dex and con i don't allow those on my table though <laughs> so uh, their adventure is legal, legal. <laughs> that is true <laughs> and they get some nice mobility abilities yeah which normally you don't care about as an archer but since you're going to be right in the middle of melee awesome so you're a fighter 12 so you've hit three base attacks mm-hmm, and a extra, bunch of asis extra attack too that's nice uh battle master yeah so this is basically to simulate your trick arrows. Um, think uh, Hawkeye or Green Arrow. Because most of the Battlemaster maneuvers trigger off any weapon attack, not just the melee weapon attack. So you can disarm at range. That's handy. Right? You can trip at range. You can menace at range. It, yeah, they're, they're cool. And yeah. then you get all the other fighter goodies. You get nice um, hit dice, and you get some decent survivability. Second wind, you get... Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, action, action surge, surge, yeah, which is yeah. awesome for just... I unload six arrows into you. Right. All right, and then Rogue, I'm guessing that's either Assassin for high damage up front Mm -hmm. or Swashbuckler for mobility. Yeah, and this is totally up to you, whichever one you want to do. Assassin is really nice because, you know, you can 
crit on all that sneak attack right at the beginning and you're dex based so you're probably going to go first anyway yeah but swashbuckler gives you extra opportunities to get that sneak attack damage and with cunning action it's basically just every bonus action is disengaged to move somewhere where you're gonna have your sneak attack from swashbuckler yeah yeah so if you like so tactical combat or if your party's playing with a grid that's a really nice combination yeah a lot of fun yeah for barbarian you can obviously go bear totem we love bear totem three levels for bear yeah i yeah. mean that just increase your survivability that right? much more three yeah. times a day you're yeah you're just gonna tank all that damage yep um or you could do frenzy barbarian if you're meleeing with your arrows as improvised weapons huh right so you've got as a bonus action you get a melee attack once per round which could be pull an arrow stab now this takes a little more feed support because you need a uh, tavern brawler to be able to use improvised weapons and you're probably going to want to do this if you're a dwarf because you got that strength bonus so you're more likely to hit but you also have reckless attack yeah yeah i could see that i don't know i think i would just stick with bear totem i would yeah me too yeah that's it, that fits the iron it's a little option. better yeah. yeah um but I you think... could also do battle rager which gets that bonus with the spikes with the spikes yeah, yeah. So I, I, I do like dropping the people's elbow on somebody after you have shot them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and rogue, we only take we take five levels of rogue because that gets you uncanny dodge, which I think is often overlooked in a lot of rogue builds because it makes rogue super tanky as your reaction. You have the damage from an incoming attack that you can see. Yeah. We don't go to six for two more expertises. If you really want to be skill focused, you could drop your 12th level of fighter and do that, but then you lose an ASI. And this is a pretty stat heavy build because yeah, I don't see the iron archer as being particularly skilled. Yeah, I agree. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that's fine. I think it's the right choice. And you already get two expertises. Yeah. Which is frankly more than the build deserves. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, if you can try to get both decks and con up to 20, because that's going to put your AC at 20 naked which is ultimately sort of where you want to be. All right, so we do need some feet support, right? Yeah, you absolutely need crossbow expert. (laughs) (laughs) Which makes total sense for a bow-wielding fighter, right? That's right. So it removes the disadvantage for firing your bow in melee. Now, it also removes the loading property from crossbow, so it could mean that you use a heavy crossbow, which does a little more damage than your longbow, but has a slightly shorter range. It's totally up to you. And then your improvise is actually beating people with your bow. Yeah, right? exactly. Or pulling your arrow, whichever you prefer. Yeah. Now, here's an interesting tidbit. The um, the fighting style, archery fighting style, gives plus two attack with ranged weapons. Your bow is a ranged weapon. I don't it doesn't think say, it... It doesn't say ranged weapon attacks. It's with ranged weapons. Yeah, but when you... When you're using it as a melee weapon, it's an improvised weapon. Sure. Which is melee. Weapon. Um, I could see. Okay. I'll take your rules mm. argument, sir. All right. Well, try to sell it. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're, hitting, you're hitting with your bow. <laughs> it's 1d4. <laughs> right. Sharpshooter is nice because it removes range penalties. So, you know, on the times when you're not fighting in melee with your longbow you can sneak attack from 800 feet away well you can't sneak attack but yes no you can you just can't have disadvantage on the attack roll there's no range limitation on sneak attack oh okay all right interesting so yeah so that's going to be the death of bbegs everywhere (laughs) (laughs) sharpshooter also lets you take uh, minus five of your attack and do plus 10 extra damage which 
you probably should be doing when you have advantage. Yeah, when you have advantage, but it synergizes decently with the archery fighting style. Yeah, exactly. Tavern Brawler, which lets you use your arrows. If you're not going to use your arrows in melee, which you don't have to because you can just fire arrows at point blank, then maybe you don't need this. Eh, it's up to you. I don't know. I think that's the most flavorful thing. I think it's pretty cool, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the that Legolas moment, right? <laughs> and you're not limited to your arrows, right? Use anything. Anything, yeah. yeah. And then tough gets you two hit points per level. Which, uh, just just yeah. handy. Yeah. And fits really well with the characterization. So, Ishin, why is your character an iron archer? Well, going back to the method actor, I think this character was a coward, which is why they took up archery in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> It is traditionally the coward's weapon. <laughs> However, very early on, level one, maybe, or one of the early levels, they were unable to save comrades who were in the middle of a scrum because they were just too far away to get there to help. Uh, right? okay. So they're running in, uh, they're going to apply first aid, or they, you know, they were shouting a warning and it just didn't work and their companions died. And they said, you know what? Never again. I need to always be there. I need to be right nearby where my party can count on me. And so, well, they talk crossbow experts <laughs> so they can shoot things in the face. Interesting. Okay. So mine is going to be a little more esoteric. Uh -huh. It's not going to fit in every campaign or every campaign world, but I like the idea because he's a fighter 12, right? Right. And a battle master. Mm -hmm. So he is extremely competent as a tactician and as a warrior. Yeah. So Student I, of war. I like the idea of a character who has made some pact or made some type of agreement or promise or sworn an oath to never fight and you'd structure it in some way that archery wouldn't qualify right <laughs> so he's like he's he's given up his sword he's uh -huh. he's melted his swords to plowshares you know he's done all of these things but he's now been called he has to take up the mantle again and perhaps he was allowed archery as a hunter right he, he was able to still hunt. So now he considers this his hunt. That reminds me a bit of the Aiel from uh, Wheel of Time. Right? They don't use swords because those are only used to kill. They use spears, which are hunting weapons. Oh, well, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, that works. Maybe I subconsciously stole that from my <laughs> my <laughs> fifth grade reading of Wheel of Time or whatever. Fifth through 14th, 14th grade. grade. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I, I like the idea of that where he's more than capable of using a more effective weapon he has willfully hamstrung himself and now he's the best he can be at using yeah. archery but still has that same code of honor and ethics and tactician where he knows he has to be in the front lines because he is better suited to be there than most yeah i like that all right if you want to support the show the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on itunes and if you're willing to help us out we'll read your five-star review on the air you can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. Ishin, we have a five-star review from iTunes. I think it's your turn. That's correct. This one is from Inspiration in Your Ears. No. This one is from The Fighting Bee. It's <laughs> called Inspiration in Your Ears. This podcast is great. It helps me come up with ideas, clarifies what can be done, and what should be done. Helpful for players and DMs. Uh, thank you for the kind words, Fighting Bee. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We'll be talking about maps and mapping. And in the character creation forge? We're building a pathfinder. Well, that's it for episode 38 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, 
I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 